Hi, and welcome to the Drum Podcast on Everything Negotiations with your host, Mike Lander. The aim of our show is to give you practical negotiation insights from global marketing industry experts. We're all about actionable insights. We want you to take away one or two things per episode that can help you move the ball forward in your business. We really hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe and keep coming back for more. Tamara, thanks ever so much indeed for joining me on the uh, the Drums Negotiation Podcast, all things negotiation from a brand and agency side. Um, so yeah, so uh, first of all, just tell people about your background, who you are and what you do. Thanks, Mike. It's lovely to be here. So I uh, run the social elements, which I've been running for 20 years. We celebrated our 20th birthday this year. And we help brands have a genuine human connection with their consumers. So we're working on social media, strategy, content, day-to-day engagement for brands like Peloton, Oreo, Nissan, uh, and Dr. Pepper. And uh, yeah, I've got an amazing team based all around the world. And uh, yeah, that's me. You're big now as an agency. You're how, how many people are you now? It's uh, about 265. Wow. I mean, there's a whole different discussion about how you got from you starting out to where you are now, but that's a different discussion. Yes, that's 20, 20 years in the making. <laughs> 20 years in the making, exactly. Um, so we're here to talk about kind of negotiations and predominantly as an agency negotiating with brands. And obviously part of that is the kind of spectre of procurement. And a lot of agencies, when I mention procurement, spit nails. And I say, no, 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 you've got to embrace them. But of course, you know, that's not always easy. So do you want to talk about what happened early on as an agency when you were dealing with bid brands, procurement and otherwise, or when you're negotiating deals, and how it's changed and how it is now? Yes, of course, because, I mean, it has changed so much. And I feel like I'm a different person and we're a different agency, but I'll kind of do the uh, the before and after approach somewhat. So so way back in, in the early days, you know, uh, starting up an agency, you, you don't know what you don't know. And you kind of, you learn from other people, you sort of speak to other people. But, you know, I was just naturally quite terrified of procurement. I, I won't lie. It was, I, I didn't quite understand how it all worked. And, and uh, and there were so many sort of examples of where we got things wrong. Uh, so I would say that at the beginning, I had this sort of sense that we did whatever procurement said, and we didn't really feel like there was a huge amount of collaboration. A bit like the police. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> People say to me, it's like talking to the police. I feel frightened. <laughs> I think also there wasn't a great reputation for procurement at the time. It was, you know, and that did stem from inside the brands as well. You know, often it would be the case that we would be having these wonderful conversations with the, the you know, the head of digital, the head of social. And then they would say, sorry, we've got to get procurement involved now. And so it was almost like set up for failure. Really. It was. Sorry, we have to get procurement involved. Yeah. You know? It's like going to go and see the headmaster. I had mistress. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> fast forward to to now, and I'll, I'll go into some of our, our kind of uh, stories in, in a bit, but fast forward to now, what is completely different is the investment that we've done in ourselves in terms of training and, you know, bringing in outside uh, knowledge um, fr- from people like you as well, you know, uh, along the years and, and with the uh, Rachel Boothroyd, who uh, was on our executive team, who was our in-house counsel. And and so she was able to do sort of negotiation training. So we invested a lot 
to change our relationship, our techniques. And now it's much more around collaboration and win-win. So my relationship with procurement now is a very friendly relationship where we're helping plan together what's coming up next year rather than being hauled to the headmaster's room, as he, as he said. <laughs> <laughs> and just talk to me about what, you know, what does collaboration actually mean? Because everyone talks about collaboration, but practically with procurement, because yeah. obviously yeah, being an ex-procurement director, part of my role is governance ensuring the strong control in place, reporting, make sure that we're getting what we've been promised, uh, value creation, uh, not just savings, but also how about you make the pie bigger. What does collaboration mean for you? So I think collaboration is understanding what our clients' drivers are. And I'll give you a really great example. One of, one of our uh, clients for, for Europe is Visa. Their procurement team is exceptional, and yeah. the way that they approach things is is very different, uh, perhaps to, to others. But you know, for example, they've invited us in. They do a, a, a summit for Supplier all summit. Of the suppliers. Yes, so that we could understand what are their main drivers, how much they're invested in uh, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, for example, sustainability. Um, and I, I was actually one of a speak, the speakers at their their summit. So it was it's a true partnership. And that yes. partnership means that we are working with procurement, but they help facilitate the conversations with individual markets because for some clients we're working across like 20 different markets, for example. Like, you know, we work with a lot of holding companies. We're working with people like Mondelez and Diageo. So multiple brands, multiple countries. That's as you say, the governance is is quite tricky. So yeah. just making sure it's a it's a partnership that that relationship is there. Um, and we can flex. So I think it comes down to honest conversations. Uh yeah. the, the way that we always see it is it's this shared shared problems, shared solutions. So we are getting around the table to discuss what are the issues. And, and it might be, for example, that budgets need to be frozen this year, or, or it might be another thing, like we really want to invest even more in social strategy and listening, and we need to get our brands seen in a different way. So we will come back to the table with new solutions and how we would sort of spend the money to do that. Um, uh, so it's not all about how much can you lower your prices? It's it's far, far from that. It's it's a true discussion and collaboration about solutions, needs, KPIs, governance, and what's going on with the relationship. And I, I feel, you know, that feedback loop is vital. Um, when we work with uh, Dr. Pepper, we get a, like a, a score on how, exactly how we're doing, but we actually are encouraged to score them as well. And that that feels to me like that really, um, that partnership approach. Absolutely. I spoke to someone a while ago about exactly that in the agency world. They um, they do a lot of work about basically kind of um, marriage counselling for agency and brand, yeah. where relationships have started to not break down, but there's something wrong. And they run those kind of 360 feedback sessions on both sides. And then yeah. they they shine a mirror on both sides saying, this is what's happening and this is what's going on. I think that's so valuable. It's it's so valuable. And, and you know, if we work on the premise that feedback is a gift. Exactly. You know, I want to make sure that my agency is the best agency that we can be and that our clients are happy. And, you know, there's been a bit of a trend to moving towards three-year contracts instead of one-year contracts. And so that feedback is vital. And, you know, if there's things that we need to change, 
then absolutely will will change them. So yeah, I think it it is much more a stronger relationship and partnership. So let's talk about just for a second. I want to get into some of the stories about negotiation <laughs> where it's gone badly wrong sure. and where it's gone really well. But just as uh, and again, it's a fascination. I guess I'm still a bit of a geek around procurement. Um, but collaborating with with someone like me in my old role, um, you it's hard to start that journey as a I want to collaborate. In my experience, you have to kind of demonstrate the value that's being created and demonstrate that actually there's value in it for me collaborating with yeah. you because um, it may not come as my first instinct, maybe. How have you found, because for people listening, they're like, sounds great. How do you collaborate with procurement? They just yeah. want to beat me up on price. Have you got any examples of how you built that more collaborative relationship? Yeah, so, I mean, it happens uh, over a long time. Uh, one of the hardest things is to build that relationship when you're in an RFP situation, for example. So if I split out the two, so in an RFP... That's almost impossible, I would say. Well, it's amazing what you can do. You can give away a lot of personality even just by emails. Um, You know, for example, something as simple as responding very quickly to procurement during an RFP process, doing things on time, making sure that everything is correct and almost making yourself the... uh, the easiest people to work with. It gives a flavor of what we would be like to work with. So make sure your spreadsheet actually adds up. Make sure you filled it incorrectly. (laughs) Because I'm very numerate. (laughs) There aren't typos. Exactly. Uh, So I think, you know, you can try and build a relationship and and we have done that uh, successfully uh, during the RFP process because sometimes they can take a couple of months, those processes. Or longer. Yeah. and also, I suppose, you know, going even further back, I've attended uh, procurement conferences and spoken at like conferences. Uh, yes, exactly. Procurecom um, marketing, yeah. So I'm a member of uh, sort of the uh, women-owned network, and and essentially we get invited to speak at conferences. That's where yeah, we meet yeah. people. We can build those relationships. But when I think about the relationships of ongoing clients, and we're, we're very uh, blessed in that we have ongoing uh, contracts with our clients. Yeah, yeah. That's the way that it works for, we become their social media agency. We work with them for, for years and it's, it's a sort of investment. So, so then it comes down to the relationship through the client services team, yep. um, through our managing director, myself, um, uh, you know, sometimes just inviting them to, uh, you know, invite our dinners. Inviting uh, to a dinner or an event, a breakfast, <laughs> a seminar. Exactly. Don't, don't leave them out. And, and I think, you know, we, I launched, um, yeah, I launched my own <laughs> podcast uh, two years ago, Genuine Humans, which is, I, I really enjoy doing that. And I know obviously you just started this podcast. It, you meet so many. I love it. Yeah. You meet so many interesting people. So inviting my procurement contacts to be on the podcast, so important. And that authenticity of voice, what I'm finding with podcasting is, is that in 20 minutes, you have a discussion, you yeah. get to know the person. You, you get to see who they are and hear what their thoughts and, and and where their vulnerabilities are. And and it's a much more human way of finding out rather than me reading one of your blogs, which I've done. Yeah. It's great, but I'd much rather talk to you or hear <laughs> yes. you. D- definitely. And actually what you're tapping into is it's that um, trust. Yes. And uh, so I think building trust uh, over time, whether that's, you know, during lockdown, obviously a lot of it was done with, with video calls, but some of the things that I've done are very different to what I did at the beginning, because when you have that trust and you, and you've 
you you've got to uh, you respect each other. Um, when times have been a little bit tricky, and we've had to sort of have some difficult conversations, saying we are putting up some of our prices because we are paying people more because of there's there's a cost of living crisis. To be able to have that honest conversation, but then also the the transparency of saying here's all the figures. Here's all of the detail that I've given you. But in one of the conversations I had, and I won't name the client, but we actually said, here's what we could change to make it better for you. So we're almost kind of giving them the procurement levers, like either we can reduce the scope or we could go down a little bit on this rate. You know, we are open to have that conversation, but here's where we need to stick. You know, this is really important. And that to me is just being a, it's the adult to adult conversation. So there's two things there, I think. Um, again, negotiation skills-wise, you've got multiple variables. And what you're saying is, we're happy to trade variables. Some yeah. things, we can get you some efficiency savings in. It'll cost you less. Some things, however, have to go up. Here's the third-party data that references why they've got to go up. Yeah. And some things, we can change the scope of. The impact will be slightly lower, but because we do a totality of services, we think overall it'll work. That, that's a much more sensible conversation to have, definitely. Yes. And I think, you know, back in the day when I didn't really, uh, you know, hadn't had the sort of training and spoken to people and adapted my way of, of doing business, yeah. I think there was this uh, viewpoint that you were supposed to hold things back from procurement. Like, don't give, don't tell them how you've come to your prices. But, you know, I can understand now just how, as a, as a human, how frustrating that would be. Just... Just tell me how you've worked this out and we can chat. Yes. And the adult, adult conversation. So in negotiation, and it's, it's drawn from um, a psychology model, uh, which is the PAC model, parent, adult, child. And what happens is, and you'll see it in, uh, you won't see it these days, but maybe when you were 20 years ago starting. Yeah. In a, in a professional relationship between two people, what can often happen is the buyer can start acting as a parent and treating the supplier as a child. And parent-child is a scolding-type, um, kind of like more brutalizing relationship in many ways. Um, not brutal, but um, it's a more, it, it's a speaking-down relationship. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah. You speak down to someone. Getting it onto an adult-adult basis, you talk about facts and process and logic and interests and mutual understanding and respect. And I'd say to anyone listening, you know, what Tamara's just said about it's an adult-adult conversation. If you feel like you're being put in a position whereby it's more parent-child, just stop the conversation and go back to the facts, go back to the logic, and go back to the common interests, and it will reset the negotiation. Completely, completely. And it's a game-changer because negotiations don't become that you know, something you're fearful of and you've got to almost sort of steal yourself to go in. We're going into negotiations now. It becomes a, a, an enjoyable conversation. That's right, because it is a dialogue. And you yeah. don't have to say yes. You don't have to accept what I want. Yeah, completely. It's, it's a negotiation. So now, <laughs> given the time, let's have a few stories tomorrow. So the kind of the good, the bad and the ugly, uh, which is what the actual podcast subtitle is. <laughs> <laughs> just some stories i don't i don't mind if you name brands or don't make name brands it's entirely up to you but but just what what what's gone wrong and what's now and what went well it's it's an interesting segue from the adult child because i think what what went wrong in the past 
it was when we were in that adult child relationship and obviously us being the the, the child and and that is that is because there was inexperience there and you know but so there was um there was one with a uh a children's toy uh company and we worked with them for years so we we did win the business and they were such a joyful uh client to work with um However, if I think about the actual negotiation, it was a very unusual situation because we'd sort of presented this and we'd gone through an RFP process. We had come out uh, up up top and then there was in the sort of pricing negotiation and we did it in person. And I remember they came and we we took them out for lunch and the lunch was a disaster. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> we were having lunch in um, Smith of Smithfields. Right, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. John Tarode and Greg Wallace turned up and they own Smith's Fields. And um, suddenly all of the staff were focused on feeding them. And we we just weren't served. And so we were sitting there for probably about 45 minutes before even getting like starters. It was it was not what I wanted. And I'm a bit of a control freak. And I I thought it was going to be we have a discussion, we go out for lunch, we chat over lunch, we come back, we finish the negotiations. So everything was kind of, I was on the back foot because I was anxious because this had not gone the way I wanted. And then we went back to the room and it was this hilarious thing where they suggested that we go out of the room and come back with our best price. Aha! Um, and it was that old, <laughs> that chestnut, which at the time I thought was so exciting. It was like being in Dragon's Den. Exactly. You know, we'd go back out and like, how low can we go? And But of course, the, the emphasis is on how low can you go? And in the moment, in the moment, you're going to make decisions that are not actually based on data. You're, you're under pressure. Um, and it's not, great. it's not based on value creation. It's just no. based on how low can you go? Yeah. And, and we came back and, and, you know, all I will say is they were a fantastic client. They got a very good price from us. Um, because <laughs> but this they, was a long time ago. So it was people a long are clear. time ago. So we're talking 12 years ago, that kind of thing. Wow. And, uh, but we ended up working with them for a, a good sort of four years. And, uh, but, but yeah, I, that's not something I would do again. And interestingly, there was another one that was similar that we were working with a uh, a major gaming company. And again, we worked with them for, I think it was about six years actually in the end. But um, at the beginning when we sort of like won the business and do lots of negotiation and we actually flew out to see them uh, where they were based in Europe. And again, there's lunch involved. Yep. <laughs> they, there's a theme they, here, isn't there, Tamara? There's a theme. <laughs> we showed all of this value of how we were going to do things and what the price should be. And they actually said, go and have your lunch and come back with your best offer. Um, what happened though was a little bit different for this one because we had our lunch and then we came back with exactly the same offer. Uh-huh. And what happened? They took it. Exactly. <laughs> because we were just like, actually, do you know what? We're going to hold our own here. And it was a bit of a game. And and I think we were just so confident about how we'd price things that we hadn't been too greedy on the margin. It was all doable. And we had that courage and conviction. So it was almost like we had learned a bit from, from a couple of years before that don't get put under that pressure, but have the conviction to say, do you know what? We're just gonna, yeah. we're gonna stick. 
Um, so, but that, In that was... moment, just think about that for a second. Let's just pick that just slightly, a couple of things. Yeah. The balance of power. How did it feel, rather than the rational bit, how did it feel the balance of power was just before you went out for lunch? Where did you think it was lying? It was more adult child because I think they'd, they'd sort of said, come back with your best offer. I think we felt in that lower power because we knew that obviously we wanted to win the business. We put a lot of effort in. We'd flown out. We were, you know, we sort of, we were really keen to win the deal. And there was a lot of pressure as the agency founder. And I had some of my team with me. You, you feel that stress of you're going out to win the business. You want to come back with the win. Um, So it was a ballsy move for us to not capitulate. Um, It worked and we had uh, a good long relationship with them uh, and things only changed because their business changed that the the work we were doing no longer existed. It was like a, a, a console that just no longer existed. But um, but yeah, it, I still remember that feeling of um, uh, just, it, it was a powerful feeling to sort of hold your own and stick up for yourself, I suppose. It is. So a couple of things. So um, I have this phrase, which I, I was taught, wow, 22 years ago by a very successful salesperson. Uh, he used to sell huge, huge, 10, 20 million pound deals when I was learning my, my craft. Yeah. And he said to me, Mike, the moment you're emotionally wedded to the outcome is the moment you've lost the negotiation. And what he meant in that was the moment I want it so much, you can tell, you can see it in my eyes, yeah. you'll see it in my expression, you'll see the way that I write things down or the way that I stop writing. Um, you'll see that I really want this deal. So in that situation, be honest, how emotionally wedded to the outcome were you before lunch? How much did you need that deal, want that deal, desire that deal? I absolutely did. And this is actually a good testament to the having a good, strong team around you because I'm the founder, I'm the CEO. I was fully prepared to drop our prices because ah. I wanted it. It was my it was my team were just sort of saying we you know, they valued themselves, which is so important. And they were like, no, we really should hold hold our prices. And, you know, I have a good tr- uh, trust with my team. So I was like, no, you're absolutely right. Let's do it. And yeah, it worked. And but the you power know of having a team, the power yeah. of team-based negotiations, really important is yes. that rather than you being the hero CEO on your own, winning the deal, I mean, given that I know you a little bit tomorrow, I know that that's the opposite of who you are anyway. But <laughs> you brought people with you. Totally. And team-based negotiations can be massively valuable because people are thinking, taking notes on your side. And then when you get time to breathe, they go, no, we're going to yeah. hold. So I think that's fantastic. So powerful. Something else that I would love to get into before yeah. we get and towards the last eight minutes. Carry on. Sorry. I was just going to say, can I just share one more? This is a slightly more offbeat one because I wouldn't necessarily call it, well, it's, it's a negotiation of, of sorts. I think it's one of those things where you kind of understand who you are when something happens that's completely unexpected. Right. And right. we were working with a client and it was a crypto client and maybe slightly outside of our wheelhouse, if I'm absolutely honest. They were based in San Francisco okay. and things had sort of started off okay, but they were going a bit weird. It was such a new area. There was a lot of yeah. test and learn. And sometimes... Sometimes things just go a bit wrong. And, and we we felt that we were 
getting to a good place. And we were called into a meeting to discuss how we were going to sort of fix things and move together and collaborate, et cetera. Yeah. That's what we were expecting to happen. And I'd I'd flown over from London to San Francisco and met with one of my team in, in America and we we went to see them. And in the meeting, they actually fired us in the meeting. Wow. And and it was just it wasn't what I was expecting. No. Nope. So I had to do that whole kind of like, uh, oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> And then not only did they sort of say, this isn't going to work anymore and we need to sort of stop everything. They then brought in the team to say hello. First, I don't know why, because it's kind of like, well, you're about to get rid of us and served sandwiches. But you're firing us. No. <laughs> I know. We had this, we were like eating lunch going, oh, okay. Um, but you know what, what I did, and I'm going to... I'm going to blow my own trumpet. I think this is a classy move. I said, while we've got this time, why don't we workshop what we would have done to make things better and yeah. and just help you and perhaps just give you some feedback on where things were a bit difficult for us. You can give us some honest feedback. We're ending the relationship anyway. We've got the people in the room. Let's just do a workshop. And, and, and it, it just meant that we ended it on a positive note of rather than like us stalking off and you know, it was dragging like, you back okay. out the door. Yeah, it was like okay, let's let's do a workshop. Let's figure this out. And and it, weirdly enough, I think they they sort of at the end there was a sort of expectation of like, oh may, maybe we should have carried on working <laughs> with you, but the, the moment had passed. But I just sort of feel that you never know how you're going to be tested, and to yes. be put in that situation, and I I feel happy with the way that I acted. And and uh, I think that is also an important thing in negotiations is that you have to you have to be yourself and you have to well stay classy. <laughs> stay classy is a good phrase, absolutely. And you do all your preparation because we all you know if you're going to negotiate and get a great outcome, you have to prepare well. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. Is that you know preparation is key, but the unexpected will happen. Yeah. And you have to, on the fly, work out what you're going to do with it. And that was a great example of what you did with it. Yeah. Um, so a um, couple of things, just kind of one observation, and then I'd like you just to kind of summarize if you can, and I've got a few points. Anxiety. Talk to me about anxiety in negotiations and how not only you deal with it, but how do you coach your team? Because it's now big. How yeah. do you coach your leaders to cope with anxiety in negotiations? So, I mean, this is going to be something that obviously this is what you teach other people. That yeah. The whole concept of the BATNA. Yeah. So having our best alternative to a negotiated uh, um, agreement. So we know where we want to take things. And, and it will be some different variables, as we discussed before, about, you know, okay, we, can, we can't necessarily reduce price here, but we could reduce price here. We could look at changing the scope. We have a few things up our sleeve that are helpful as a sort of shared outcome. So, so training my team is the preparation is vital. We have yeah. to have all of the data that shows why we're sort of changing things or what we're suggesting, or maybe we are recommending some brand new services that they haven't had before. So there's that sort of sales element as well that we want to show them the value. So preparation, rehearsal. So we will do a full rehearsal of that because it is just like pitching, you know, and that, yeah. So we all know what we're going to be saying, who's going to be handing over to who. Um, and I think that's a respectful thing to do to sort of come prepared and, and ready. Um, 
We also have, uh, we've all worked on the, the sort of the scoping document and the way that we prepare things is that there's nothing we wouldn't be afraid to show to the client. So we have all of our margins in there and maybe we're not going to share every single margin and all of our sort of, um, you know, overheads, et cetera. But honestly, if they, it, as I said, nothing that we're we're hiding, that we're proud of everything that we're doing and there's, you know, we're doing doing the right, doing right by the client. So there's that sort of preparation. And I think then the anxiety is the, well, we'll we'll go for the outcome we want. And uh I think if you've prepared for what you're not gonna back away from, you don't have that sudden sense of like leaving a meeting thinking, well, that was terrible. And we got that was just awful. So that doesn't happen. So that controls the anxiety because you know what the outcomes are that you're going to go for. And and sometimes we've, you know, we've sort of been prepared to drop our prices a little bit lower and it actually hasn't happened. And we've gone, got the, the higher price and that's an amazing feeling. Um, but uh, you just never quite know. But as long as you're prepared, as long as you're talking about it and you've done your rehearsals and you know your BATNA and yeah. you can have that honest conversation. I think I was sort of saying before, it moves into a wonderful conversation that's actually quite exciting versus an intimidating situation that you're terrified of. Exactly. And that rehearsal part of it also is role-playing. I always yeah. say to people, I advise teams bidding for big deals. Um, yeah, one of you act as the buyer. So, yeah, switch roles for a minute. One of you act as the buyer. And then the seller, your team, you know, just run it for real. See what happens. See how yeah. people might react. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that's great. Um, and just like a summary, given the time, I don't want to abuse your time tomorrow. You're a, busy, a very busy person. Um, if you were advising someone running an agency, they've got to the kind of like, you know, maybe a million, five million of revenue mark. They're, they're doing bigger deals now with bigger brands. If you had to give them only one piece of advice around negotiating with big enterprise brands, what would it be? Definitely invest in training always always get the experts in that's for for you know 20 years on i've grown and been successful and you know won big deals because of other people you know because i've brought in experts to sort of help and plug gaps and and train us in areas that we need help with um but i i think it is yeah it's just sort of get get the experts in get the training and and don't be afraid because if you've actually built a relationship and you are proud of what you're delivering and you've done all your homework in terms of are the rates around about right, you know, do, can, are we sort of standing by what we're delivering? You'll have that confidence and it will shine through. So it is the preparation and the training and, uh, and the uh, relationships. Brilliant. Tamara, it's been amazing. Thank you for being so open, honest and fun to be with as well. Thank you, Micah. It's been lovely. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.